You're listening to The Sermon Podcast from Southside Baptist Church, located in Florence, South Carolina. We now have two services, a classic service at 8.30 and a modern service at 11 o'clock. For more up-to-date information, check us out at southsidenow.church. Well, amen. Let's give applause for our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Wonderful worship here this morning. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Next week, next week will be our last week here in this series, Church in the Wild. And we've been in this series for a while. I think like maybe 20 weeks or something like that. So we're going to move on to something else, something a little different. And uh, looking forward to looking forward to that. But um, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 16. In verse 1, it says, Now regarding your question about the money being collected for God's people in Jerusalem, you should follow the same procedure I gave to the churches in Galatia. On the first day of each week, You should each put aside a portion of your money you have earned. Don't wait until I get there and then try to collect it all at once. When I come, I will try, I will write letters of recommendation for the messengers you choose to deliver your gift to Jerusalem. And if it seems appropriate for me to go along, they can travel with me. Let's pray. Father, as we dive into your word and we are challenged to be generous, I pray that we're just that. That we'll evaluate ourselves and look at ourselves at And ask, are we generous? Are we generous with our time for the kingdom of God, our resources, and our money? And you've called us. You've called us to be generous people as believers in Christ. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. One day there was a deacon board that had a, well, they had a tough situation. They had a tough situation. And um, there was a married couple that was in the church. And the wife came to the deacon board and said, to the deacon board, will you tell my husband that he just inherited $10 million? But the problem was, is that Jim had a very serious heart condition and she was concerned and they were concerned that the shock might just kill him. And so they're trying to figure out what they were going to do. And like any good deacon board, they asked the pastor, pastor, will you talk to Jim? And pastor was like, sure, I'll I'll talk to Jim, and he was trying to think of how he could kind of approach this. So he came up to Jim kind of nonchalantly and said, Jim, you know, what if, what if God were to give you $10 million? What would you do with it? He said, Preacher, I give half of it to the church. And quickly the preacher grabbed his chest and had a heart attack. <laughs> true story. I, I don't know if that's true or not. I, I just made it. I might. I might. But we want to talk about being generous. And as we start this passage off, we need a little bit of background here. Now, notice this with me in verse 1. Now, regarding your question, so the church in Corinth had some questions for Paul. And this is why 1 Corinthians is even written, and 2 Corinthians. They had some questions. Now, we don't know what the questions were exactly, but we get an idea by the answer Paul gives. Now, it's very interesting that Paul, um, from in chapter 15... I mean, we went three Sundays talking about the resurrection, the resurrection, the resurrection. Now let's talk about giving. That seems like a weird, like weird transition, but that's what it is. And you got to remember that that when the church in Corinth is reading this this book, um, there's no chapter divisions. In fact, there was no chapter divisions and verses until I believe around the 15th century, give or take. So they're fairly new. 
and they're not inspired. The Word of God's inspired. There's nothing wrong with chapters and divisions. It helps us find the Word of God and the passages much quicker. But we, there wasn't any of that during that time. But notice, now regarding your question about money being collected for God's people in Jerusalem. So they're making a special offering, a collection for the church in Jerusalem. Now, if you know a little bit about the Bible and you've studied the Bible, where did the church, first church start in Jerusalem? And when you read the book of Acts and you read about all that's going on in the church in, 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 in Jerusalem, I mean, they had it going on. They had Peter preaching, people getting saved. The Spirit of God is moving. I don't know if they had worship, but I'm sure they had some great worship. They had great teachers, a lot of people, a lot of action going on. And they probably looked around and go, why would we ever want to leave this? And before Jesus ascended, he gave them Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And um, they weren't willing to obey. They weren't willing to listen. He told them, I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, locally, in Judea, in Samaria, and to, to the into the parts of the of the earth. I want this church, I want my church to go everywhere. So sometimes people may ask, uh, church, uh, you know, pastor, why do we give so much to missions? Because Jesus said so. <laughs> That's why. We're called to be generous because Jesus said we should be generous. And we should support local missions, which we do. We should support our state missions, which we do. We should support foreign missions, which we do. And in fact, we give about 14% of our total budget to missions. Why? Because it's important. Why? Because Jesus said we should. And if a church does not give anything to missions, it just becomes very inward focused. Now, individually and collectively as a church, because we're still living in this flesh and this body, we are bent towards sin, right? We all are. We need the Spirit of God to help us live a righteous life, a good life, and one that pleases God. The tendency is to get off alignment on the mission and become inward focused and only focus on ourselves. Now, it's not that any of our needs don't matter. They do. Or that we shouldn't at times focus on certain things about ourselves. Sure, absolutely. But the tendency is as a church and as individual Christians, we can tend to focus only on ourselves instead of being generous. And we can end up grabbing and holding on to certain things, our time, resources, and money, and going, it's mine, it's mine. And you've heard that before, especially if you're a mom or dad, right? Now, if you're 14 or 17-year-old, that's how old my two olds are, if they're holding on to something... And they won't give it to me. And they're screaming, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. I'm like, what is wrong with you? Like, you're not four. Like, act like act your age, right? Because someone who has that focus of just saying, it's mine, it's mine, and not willing to share means they're immature in their faith. We are called to be sharers. We are called to be Givers. And what's interesting when it comes to the subject of our resources and when it comes to money and material things, This isn't just an issue here in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. It's an issue throughout the Gospels. And in fact, when you read um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, get this. One out of every six verses deal with people and their money or material possessions. 
So sometimes, man, as a pastor, it, it can be, you, man, you, you preach on tithing or you preach on giving or being generous or on money and material. People are like, I don't want to hear that. Well, it seems that Jesus even himself had a lot to say about that. Of the 29 parables Jesus gave, 16, over half of them, had to deal with people, their possessions, and their money. Whew. So if Jesus talked about money that much in our possessions and our relation to them, if the gospel spoke on them one of every six verses, we should also speak about them as well. And so Paul speaks of the collection being taken up for this church in Jerusalem. And you go, wait a second, I thought Jerusalem had it going on. I thought they were good. They were, but they weren't scattering. They weren't listening to the words of Jesus. And so sometimes when we're not doing what we should do, either as a church or as Christianity as a whole, God turns up the heat. And he turned the heat up on the church in Jerusalem. In fact, there was a drought, which ended up bringing a famine. And then there came persecution, and the church in Jerusalem scattered. Now, there still remained a church. There was a lot less people. And those people who scattered went to the other parts of the world and the earth to start churches, to tell and to, to take, take the gospel to other people just like Jesus told them to do. And so if we're not doing what the Lord wants us to do, sometimes he just simply turns up the heat. I had a pastor friend who said once, I don't know where he got it from, he said, sometimes People don't always follow God because they see the light. Sometimes they follow God because he turns up the heat. And sometimes that is very, very, very true. And so the Lord, he moved this church in Corinth to show their love and their generosity. Now, when you read Acts, man, Peter, who was there in Jerusalem... God had to give him three different visions slash dreams to go see, to see Cornelius, the Italian, the Gentile, to go and dine with him. And God had a plan to reach the Gentiles. And you can read that in Acts, I think, 10, 11, chapter 10 and 11. And Peter didn't want to go, but finally he went after the third time. And he goes, and the church in Jerusalem kind of like had a standoffish view of the Gentiles. But God wasn't interested in just reaching and saving Jewish people. He also wanted to save the Gentiles. And so they didn't have exactly the best reputation of being nice and kind and generous in the church in Jerusalem. And what an about face here that we see this Gentile church in Corinth. Man, they had their problems, but they decided we're going to be generous. We're going to help out this church in Jerusalem. And that's exactly what they did. And out of 1 Corinthians 16 and other passages we'll turn to as well, we get some principles for generous giving. And there's seven of them I want us to look at. The first one is simply this. It starts off, give generously. And Paul says, the same procedure I gave the churches in Galatia. This wasn't just a one church thing. This is what Paul taught to all the different churches. This is what I want you to do. I want you to, to set aside a portion and back then, they were paid every single day when it came to their salary. Now, today, some of us are paid weekly, biweekly, monthly. It's different for maybe a little bit of everybody. But Paul was not imposing some special obligation on the church in Corinth. But everywhere he went, wherever he planted a church, he taught Christians to be givers. He taught them to be generous. 
And so for the believer, for us Christians, sharing and being generous is not an option in the kingdom of God. We all should be sharing. We all should be generous. It is essential. Jesus said, freely you received, freely give. We're called to be givers. And if you have not received anything from the Lord, then don't give it. But if you've been blessed by the Lord, then give accordingly. What should you give? Some people wonder, what should I give? Should I give just pocket change? Like I'll throw God a five and tip him. Or, you know, should I give 10%? Should I give 20%? Should I give 50%? Should I give 90%? What should I give? It's a good question. It's a good question. And that's a question that only you can answer at the end of the day. And I'll say this. God judges our generosity, not by so much by what we give, but I believe maybe what we hold back. C.S. Lewis put it this way. I'm afraid that the only safe rule is to give more than what we can spare. The apostles taught the early church, the early Christians, to give when they had hardly anything to give because giving is the essence of Christianity. And as Christians, we are called to give generously of our time, our resources, and our money. And my brother and my father went down to the flooded areas of Kentucky that happened. It's some devastating floods down there a month or two. And I was talking to my mother, and they were down there helping, and some people had lost everything they'd ever lost. And one of the people had lost everything, still gave a gift to my father and my brother, my brother who's a pastor. And they had nothing. Now, it wasn't money. It wasn't a gift card. It wasn't anything like that. But she had some fossilized, like, type wood there that looked really cool. And my brother collects fossils, and, and she decided to give that to my brother. I thought, man, that's a generous heart. That's someone who's willing to give something just because out of love and generosity. And notice this. We can, we can also need to be generous, not just financially, but in other areas as well as Christians. Notice what it says in Luke chapter 6. It says, judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not and you shall not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full. Notice this. Press down, shaken together to make room for more. And so Jesus is using a grain analogy that when they would receive grain, someone who was really trying to do you right would press it down to get rid of the air, shake it to make room for more. And that's what he's, he's in reference to here, okay? Running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. So Jesus gives a principle here. He gives a principle that when it comes to our time, money, and resources, we should be generous. And notice, those who show compassion, those who will show grace. It's not that you overlook sin or you don't stand for what is true, but those who show compassion and show grace, man, you'll receive that as well. If you forgive other people who have wronged you, People are going to forgive you. That's what this verse is about. It's about making room for the grace of God. It's about making room for being blessed by other people. And what I've noticed is that people of the same feather tend to what? Flock together. It's an old saying, right? 
And so I've noticed this, is that people who are positive and they're uplifting and they have a positive outlook, man, they tend to hang out with people who have the same mindset. People who are always negative, they're always down, they're trying to bring everybody down or they're gossiping about other people and always bringing other people down. Guess what? They tend to hang out with each other as well. In the kingdom of God, God desires to make you more like Christ. He's not trying to make you like me. He's not trying to make you like this deacon or this teacher or this woman leader over here. No, no. He's trying to make you more like Jesus. And so sometimes we think, man, a tiger can't change its stripes. Well, in the kingdom of God, it can. In the kingdom of God, it can. People can change. The spirit of God changes people and he can change you. And maybe you, maybe you are stingy. Maybe you are greedy. And maybe that's something that you have to fight and deal with in your flesh. You know what the cure for your greediness and your enviness? You know what it is? Being generous. God's called us to be generous. He's also called us to give consistently. To give consistently. Notice when you're supposed to give. On the first day of the week. This is one of the first indications in the New Testament that Christians gathered regularly for worship and fellowship on a Sunday instead of the Sabbath when the Jewish people would typically rest. Now, what changed so much that they decided we're not going to worship on the Sabbath. We're going to worship God on a Sunday. What powerful event could change that mindset? Well, chapter 15 tells you the resurrection. The resurrection was so powerful that it changed the day that they ended up worshiping God to Sunday, the day in which Jesus rose from the grave. I I would say that's a good reason. You know what's interesting is Jesus mentioned every one of the Ten Commandments but one. Guess which one he did not mention? You guessed it, the Sabbath. The Sabbath, he mentioned them all. What's interesting is that Sometimes people look at the Old Testament and go, oh, it's the Old Testament. We don't need that. Wait a second. The Bible says that Jesus came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. Now, we're not underneath the law. That's true. And in fact, when you really get down detailed, there's actually three types of law in the Old Testament. There's civil law, just like we have our laws today locally and in our state There's civil law. There's some civil laws that you read in the Old Testament. You're like, that wouldn't work today. You're right. It wouldn't because that was civil law 3,000 years ago. There was ceremonial law, which had to deal with sacrifices and different types of festivals. And also um, um, with um, the temple and the tabernacle. That's not for today. Jesus was our sacrifice. He, He for once and for all, we don't need to keep making additional sacrifices to remember that. Jesus took care of that. And all the temple and the tabernacle was a foreshadowing of Christ who was going to come. In fact, if there was a, um, a New Testament book that's kind of Old Testament that explains a lot of the Old Testament, it's the book of Hebrews. And you literally could put next to Hebrews this. Book of Hebrews, what is it about? Jesus is greater than blank. And it just goes through. Jesus is greater than the angels. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than Abraham. I'm getting them out of order, but you get my point. He's greater than, it just names them off. Jesus is greater. He fulfilled the law. He didn't abolish it. For example, what about the moral law? That's the third one. 
When Jesus, man, he affirmed the moral law. We all would agree, right? It's, it's, it's still, is it still sin to steal? Is it still sin to you know, commit adultery? Is it still sin to take God's name in vain? Absolutely. Now, we're not underneath the Ten Commandments. That's true. But Scripture does say in the New Testament, it is a guide to show us how we have wronged God and we have sinned and to point us to Jesus. It's a guide showing us where to go. And so there's principles, there's truths in the Old Testament that guide us. Why? Because it wasn't abolished. Jesus simply fulfilled it. So don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak, right? There's some things, yeah, we're not under, but it doesn't make it um, unimportant any longer. And so they gave consistently the beginning of the week. Christian, we each should give consistently to the things of God. And God's system and setup for that is the local church. You know, personally, I don't give to other organizations outside the church. I don't. Because, one, the church is something that Christ bled and died for. Now, if you do, that's your prerogative and that's your choice. I'm not saying it's a sin to or anything like that. But for me, I'm going to invest my money, my time into the kingdom of God. And so they gave consistently to the house of God, and they collected it together. They also gave personally. So give personally. Every Christian, every Christian should be a giver. Every Christian, kid, teenager, adult, senior adult, we all are called to be generous. We're all called to give. God expects every believer to give of their time, money, and resources. Every single one of us, God expects that. And it is important that we have a habit of giving. Do you have a habit of giving? Is that something that's a part of your DNA? It should be. Now, you have a job, you're a Christian, and you're a member here at Southside. And you're a member here. It's a preacher, I just don't give. I don't believe in giving. Then you're in disobedience to the Lord. Now, we'll talk about here in just a moment, like how much the Bible recommends you should, you should give. And there's some different opinions on that. But at the end of the day, you can't read the New Testament and go, you know what? I shouldn't give. In fact, I will say this, and I want to say it boldly and as nicely as I can. If you're a Christian, you're a Christian, and you're not giving of your time, money, and resources, okay? You're giving nothing. My friend, you are missing out so much on the blessings of God. And in fact, as well, you're robbing God. Dude, God doesn't need my money. You're right. He doesn't need your money. You know what your money is? Your money that God has given you, your time and your resources and your ability. You know what it is at the end of the day? It's a test. It's a test. I think God gives us what he gives us to see what we'll do with it. Will we hold on to it? Will we be selfish? Will we be inward focused? Or will we focus, will we focus on the mission that has hand that God has given us? What will you do? So my friend, are you in that position where you're willing to trust God with your salvation, but you're not willing to trust him at all with your salary whatsoever? I don't know where you're at in your life, but every one of us are called to give personally. Here's number four. We give proportionally. This means that you should give according to the way that God has given to you. Has he poured out an abundance of blessings? Then give abundantly. 
if um, you're just barely making it and you're getting, trying to get through and you're in a mess right now, what should you do? You still should give, yes. Maybe it's less than somebody else. But that's the beauty about a church body coming together. And whether you're poor, you're middle class, or you're rich, you know, God expects us all to give. Jesus gave this example. It was a poor widow in, Matthew, in, Ma- in Mark chapter 12. Jesus saw that there was a, um, a poor widow and she donated two copper coins worth a fraction of a penny. It was all that she had. And he told the disciples, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more money into the treasure, treasury than all other people. She gave all that she had. Now, do you think that widow, Jesus seeing this, God in the flesh, that later on that woman just starved to death? No, no. I, I, we don't know the rest of the story, but I believe that Jesus took care of her, that God took care of her needs and everything that she needed. See, unlike this widow, you ought to give something even if you, regardless of how much money you have, but remember that God has not, is not interested so much as in the dollar amount. He's focused on the motivation of your heart. And you may, you may ask, well, how much should I give? I'm not going to get to that quite yet. But notice what Jesus said, what he said about our heart in Luke chapter 11, verse 42. He says, what sorrow awaits you, Pharisees? He's dealing with the Pharisees, man. They, they knew what to say. They knew the Old Testament. They knew the Bible. For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens. So during that time, biblical times, they would tithe their crops. They would tithe in other areas and some of the resources. And said, man, you would tithe your herb gardens. That's, that's interesting. But you ignore justice and the love of God. You should tithe. Yes. So Jesus is affirming the tithe. Yes, you should tithe. But do not neglect the more important things. So Jesus is saying, hey, you can always give without love. But you really can't love without giving. And so you need to also love me and love the things of God. And when it comes to giving, there's some different interesting opinions when it comes to giving. And what we do see in the New Testament is, one, it's voluntary, right? But we're all called to give. The, the, the amount is voluntary and what we feel led to give. But we all are called to be givers. Now, I believe the Bible has given us kind of a baseline. It's given us an example throughout Scripture. In the Old Testament, in I think it's Genesis chapter 14, you see Abraham. He tithes to the order of the priesthood of Melchizedek, who was a Gentile. He was not a Levite. This was pre-law. This was before Moses, before God gave the law and told him. And it was something that Abraham did voluntarily. He wasn't commanded by God to give that tithe. A tithe meaning 10% or a tenth. And what's interesting is that when you go to Hebrews chapter 7, we're not going to turn there for the sake of time, but... When you go to Hebrews 7, it says Jesus is greater. Remember, that's what Hebrews is about, the book of Hebrews. Jesus is greater than than Melchizedek. And that you have Jesus, Melchizedek, and then the Levi or the Levites who were the high priest and the priest would would come out of, the family they would come out of. Was Jesus Jesus of the tribe of Levi 
No, he was a tribe of Judah. That's where he was from. And what's interesting as you read that about Melchizedek accepting that tithe from Abraham that was voluntary and that the example that was given to us pre-law during the law that was given. And it seems that even in the New Testament times that they didn't give 10%. They gave way over. In fact, the early church was so poor and some people were so poor that some people decided, you know what? I'm selling my land so I can support the church right here. Now, I'm not telling you to sell your home or sell your land, but that's what some of them did in the early church. That's how serious it was about a body together. And that's why they were so tight-knit in Jerusalem. That's why they didn't want to go. Man, they loved one another. Many of you love one another. And many of you in this own church are very, very generous in our church. And I'm thankful for that and your faithfulness. But maybe some of you need to start practicing that. You know the Lord, you love the Lord, but you're missing out on some blessings. Now, in the Christian walk, I mean, Jesus said that if you follow me, there will be times in which you'll deal with some suffering. So part of being a Christian is dealing with suffering, no question. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean everything is going to be smooth sailing and you'll never have problems. Definitely. But... I do believe this, that a Christian that is not faithfully generous and is not giving whatsoever and being a part of that in his local body, you may have some problems in your life simply because you're not willing to obey in the area of tithing or being generous of your time, your money, and your resources. God has called us all to be generous in this area. And spiritually speaking, according to Romans 9, Romans 9, all of us are spiritual sons of Abraham. All of us. And if that's the example that Abraham gave, and then Jacob gave, and then we see that in the Old Testament, which was given, it seems that while a tithe or a tenth of one's finances may be a good standard to use for Christian living, it is clear the early church, man, Focus simply on, the, on meeting people's needs. And God's financial system, his setup to support the church, to support missions, to, to, to support the needs of others, support Christian workers, expand the Christian outreach, is through the tithes and offerings of the church. An offering would be anything above 10%. Now, I don't believe, and there's one reason why I'm not a real big fan of of, um, and we, when you look at the early church and you look at scripture, you will not see anywhere in the early church where they're having bake sales to raise money. You will not see anywhere in the early church where they're having a bingo night to raise money. And I'm not anti-raising money in some different ways. But at the end of the day, the backbone of supporting a church is through the tithes and offerings of a church. And so Paul, he... He continues and, and lets the people know that, hey, you should be faithful when it comes to giving to the Lord. Now, in the Old Testament, underneath the law, there's a couple interesting things. They actually had three different tithes. Yeah, they did. They had a tithe, which was to the government of Israel. They also had a tithes for their public festivals and things that were related to their different festivals that they had during the year. And also to provide welfare for the needy and those who didn't, man, didn't have anything. And it came out to about 
Now, today, we pay taxes, right? We have our own government. Other countries across the world have their taxes. That has kind of taken place. That was an example that was given. And listen, I mean, to have a welfare system during that time was unheard of. It was God's idea to have such a thing. And I'm glad, and maybe, I know, I know people abuse it, and there's, I mean, people may look at other people and go, oh, they're abusing the welfare system, but it's good that we have a welfare system. It was God's idea, even all the way back there during the uh, Old Testament times. But it came to 23%. And, um, Some ask, okay, preacher, just get down to it. What should someone give today? Well, what we see biblically is this. It's only 3 to 5% of Americans who give to the local church do so through regular tithing. 77% of those who tithe give 11 to 20 or more percent of their income. Far more than the baseline 10%. What's interesting is 97% of Christians who tithe make it a top financial priority to give to the local church. People are more likely to practice tithing when they begin in their teens or early 20s. People who tithe regularly typically have less death uh, debt than others. And when you take all the adults across all the denominations in America, okay, all of them, the average adult gives 2.5% of their income to church. That is not generosity. Now, maybe you're in a situation and that's all you can give. I get it. But you can't tell me that we went from the pre-law 10% to the law of 10% to the early church giving everything they possibly could and doing what they could to meet people's needs to modern day. Yeah. Two and a half percent will do it. Two and a half percent will take care of it. That is not generosity. And the American church is weak as a whole because it's not as generous. And you talk to somebody, talk to somebody and there's people right in this own church, man, you are generous people and you are blessed. Just ask them about it. Just ask them about it. And they'll be willing. There's people here that, man, they are very generous. And God has blessed them in so many other different ways. There was a man years ago when I was about 13 or 14 years old. His name was Stanley Tam. And Stanley Tam started a business, a plastic business, in 1934. A couple years ago. And in 1936, he was about to go broke. Now, when I met Stanley... And Stanley's a Christian man. Um, he was an old man when I met him at the age of 14. I thought he was dead. And I was looking up some information on him. And a man, a popular Christian author named Randy Alcorn, interviewed him last summer. And Stanley Tam was 105 years old. And I couldn't find a death date for him. So I think Stanley's still around. And he's 106, apparently. And that's quite, that's quite the age, 106. And still going for Jesus. But he tells a story where he felt like God wanted him to give his business to him. And people around him said, Stanley, that sounds crazy. Why would you do that? And so he set it up in a way where he gave 51% to the Lord. Prophets, 51% going to God. That's what he did. And God blessed his business. And this went on for about 20 years. And in 1955, he was... Um, Supporting many different ministries going on through the business. And in 1955, he was in Africa and um, at, a, at a 
Christian event and God had been pressing on him, Stanley, I want you to give 100% of the profits of your business for the work of the ministry. Of course, he had a salary, but the 100% of it. Like, who does that? That's crazy. And he kind of fought and wrestled with God with it, but he did. And Stanley and his business, the United States Plastic Corporation in Lima, Ohio, when you drive by on the interstate, and I've seen this many different times, show the picture if you would, it says Christ is the answer. You can see that right off the interstate. And God is richly blessed. And that's a picture of Stanley probably by the time I met him. Because that's not a... If, man, if you, he looks like that at 106, that's, I need what he's putting on his face or something. Like he could sell that. God richly, richly blessed him. And this, this is a quote from him. He said, Lord, I just told the Lord, Lord, you can have it. I just wanted to be obedient. And I think every Christian is a full-time, is in full-time service. And every one of us has a pulpit. Every one of us to preach the gospel. The preacher has his pulpit in the church. But in my business, in the business I'm in, that's my pulpit. And God allows me to speak and preach and to further the kingdom of God. And that's what he does. Now, you may not, and I don't, have the ability to give like Stanley's given. But he's willing to step out on faith and trust the Lord and to be generous. I would say he's going over and beyond. And some of the ministries that he has supported are across the world. There's 40 plus different ministries of feeding people, of helping people. He is passionate, passionate about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, church, wherever you're at, give proportionally. As well, give freely and faithfully. Your motivation should be faithfulness, not manipulation. Paul said, when I come, let there be no collections uh, be made when I come. Why did Paul say that? I believe it's because Paul knew that he had a big personality. They had a forceful personality. And when he spoke, he had tremendous impact on people. He wanted the Corinthian believers to give freely, to give generously, not because of an emotional appeal or being manipulated. And you see this from time to time in churches, sometimes even on TV, manipulating and just kind of saying what they need to say to give. Church, you should give faithfully because you love the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes people have in their mind, hey, I'll go to this church so I can, I can sell more of this in my business or I can have these connections in my business. And though that could be a side benefit and something nice that God might bless you with some of those relationships to help your business. Um, that can be nice. But if your motivation is I'm going to go to church to grow my business, my friend, my friend, you're missing out on the point. And it's shameful there are times when churches have to manipulate people into giving. But on the flip side, I want to say this. It's shameful that any pastor might be put in a position to feel like he has to manipulate because of the lack of faithfulness in giving of his people. And sometimes that can be the case. Paul's goal wasn't to psych people up to give. It was to to show them the reason they needed to be faithful and simply just to be faithful because Christ is worthy to be faithful too. And they give responsibly. It's number six. Notice what Paul says. When I come, when I come, write letters of recommendation for the messengers. 
In other words, pick people who are going to be responsible, people who are trusted. Here at Southside, we have a finance team. People on the finance team, they have to be tithers. Our deacons have to be givers. Why? Because, hey, all leaders were held to the same responsibility. We lead. We should be doing it. We, we can't ask other people to do something we're not willing to do ourselves. I don't count money here. I'd be very leery of any church that where the preacher's counting the money. You should have a system in place. We have systems in place so that we handle the money correctly and rightly honoring God in that area. And faithful giving is rewarded. And we'll end with this and we'll be done. So in 2 Corinthians, I want to point out something to you, a principle that, that is given. That faithful giving is rewarded. I really don't need the right to you about this ministry of giving for the believers in Jerusalem. For I know how eager you are to help. This is the church in Corinth. And I've been boasting to the churches in Macedonia that you, that in, you in Greece were ready to send an offering a year ago. In fact, it was your enthusiasm that stirred up many of the Macedonian believers to begin with. Man, being enthusiastic, being a giver and being generous, it spreads. It spreads. And notice the, the rest of this, this passage. Remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. And as scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of what? Generosity in you. Church, what are you planting? How are you using your time, your money, and resources to further the kingdom of God? Giving and being generous is, is, is contagious. God takes care of and he provides. And everything that you have, I believe, is a test to see if you're willing to trust him. So do you give faithfully? Are you a generous giver? Or are you just trying to hold on because it's mine, mine, mine? Let us pray. Father, we're thankful that you're long-suffering and that you're patient and kind. If there's somebody here that they're not generous with their time, money, and resources, and they're wondering, what should I do? God's speaking to me this morning. First, repent of it. Tell God that you're sorry. Then make a decision next week 
Next week is going to be a new week. A week in which you're going to find your place where you can serve. That's giving your time. Of how much you're going to give. Even if you got to start off low, give something. Give faithfully. Give continually. We're all part of this together. Stop robbing the Lord. Everything you have is a test given to you. God, we love you. Help us to follow you in all that we say and all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you, church. If we can get the two center aisles stacked, that would be great since we have Awana tonight. God bless you.